This morning we're going to wrap up our Love and More series. Um, for the last few weeks we've been looking at all types of relationships and how the biblical view can help us grow relationships, eliminate ones that may hinder us, find new ones that may help us, and even heal some of those that have been broken. Um, it's been an awesome series. Um, our pastor, Ryan, who I don't know if he's in this room, but he's my favorite pastor. Uh, we certainly appreciate all he does. He's done a great job of putting these series together and putting them in a way that we understand, some that's super relatable. And so this week I wanted to bring it to a close by kind of refocusing in on the one relationship that kind of ties into all our relationships. That's our relationship with God. You see, it's not only an important relationship, but it's the most important relationship. It's a relationship that ultimately affects every other relationship in our lives. Would you agree? So one year ago today, um, I was actually interviewing for the worship director's position here at Central Church. Obviously, I got the job. And so I thought about what better topic to preach on than worship. Um, worship is something that is near and dear to my heart. And so the topic today is worship, and the title is Wasted Worship. There's a question mark there, and I know you're asking, what is wasted worship? Well, I'm glad you asked, because I'm going to share with you. Um, to do that, I want to define the word worship. Now, when I say worship, what's the first thing that comes to mind? What's the first thing that comes to your mind? You don't have to answer out loud, but I want you to take a snapshot and a mental picture because we're going to come back to this. You see, the word worship is derived from the old English word worship. That doesn't look like worship. Obviously, we've cleaned it up a bit and made it easier to spell for folks like me. But it means to honor shown to an object, worthiness, a worthy vessel. Uh, worship means worthy vessel. And then giving value to something or someone. That's at its simplest definition, what worship means. Um, to put it in a, in a bigger perspective, I'm going to use uh, some quotes from some of my favorite authors. There's two guys that I'll be quoting from today. One is Louis Giglio uh, out of his book, The Air I Breathe. Louis Giglio, The Air I Breathe. If you haven't heard of him, if you haven't read that book, get it. It is an awesome, awesome book. The other is Bob Coughlin and his book, Worship Matters. It's a bit more of a read, but it's so worth it. Um, Bob Coughlin has been uh, a huge influence on my life, as, so, as well as Louis Giglio. Um, I have used this books. I mean, I've been doing this for almost 30 years now. Um, you know, I started playing guitar when I was seven, but I've been in church all my life because my dad was a pastor since before I was born. And so when I think about worship, younger me, I thought about music. That's what I was just taught. And so I want to try to give you a bit of a different uh, picture in your mind today of what worship is. Um, but Louis Giglio says in his book, The Air I Breathe, <clears throat> it's that thing we do. Worship is that thing we do. It's what you were made to do. Should you for some reason choose not to give God what he desires, you'll still worship something, exchanging the creator for something he created. That hit home with me. Exchanging the creator for something he created. That made me take a deep look at not just myself, but our culture. You see, right now, all around you, people of all shapes and sizes, ethnicities, social status, backgrounds, and, and different cultures, 
They're worshiping. They're worshiping something. Worship happens everywhere all day long. In fact, some of the purest, purest forms of worship happen outside of the four walls of the church building. You see, all you have to do is drop in on a concert at an arena or go to a sporting event at a nearby stadium. You'll see amazing worship. You'll see people going for it, going all out, lifting their hands, shouting like crazy, staking their claim, standing in awe, declaring their allegiance to something or someone. They'll sing like there's no tomorrow. They'll sing like they're at a Taylor Swift concert. And they ain't got a care in the world. They will go all out. They'll go full body paint, the wigs, the big foam fingers, decked out in all red or whatever color you choose. Interestingly enough, these venues are filled with the same worship methods mentioned in the Bible. The same... Worship expressions that God desires and deserves. You see, Bob Coughlin says in his book, he describes it as love and worship. And in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, he, Jesus, said to him, who asked him, what are the greatest commandments? Or what is the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And the second is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Two simple things, love God, love people. But don't just love God, love him with all of your heart, your soul, and your mind. You see, while it's simplistic to say that worship is love, it is a fact that what we love most will ultimately determine what we genuinely worship. What we love most will determine what we worship. It's what has our heart. It's what pulls our focus. It's where we put our time and our energy. You see, God wants us to love him more than instruments and music and and food and possessions and jobs. Even our spouses or our kids or those relationships that have meaning in our life. He, He wants us to worship him and love him more than life itself. That doesn't mean we can't love anything else or anyone else. Or it doesn't mean we shouldn't love anything or anyone else. But the catch is that we can't love anything or anyone correctly until we love God more. We can't give that unconditional love, that that love, godly love, the way love should be, an undistorted and an untwisted view of love until we experience it ourselves. We can't give it until we experience it. If we don't have that relationship with God intact, if we don't have our focus in the right spot, our desires will be out of whack. We'll look to temporary pleasures to fulfill eternal desires. We will look for temporary pleasures to fulfill eternal desires. You see, everybody's got a God-shaped void inside of them. God created that peace that only he fits in. But sometimes we go through this world and we'll look to fill it with anything and everything. And it just doesn't fit. It just doesn't fill. It just doesn't satisfy. Because we're trying to fill it with something that doesn't fit. God. God has to be that centerpiece. Remember, we talked about keeping Jesus at the center. That's what this is all about. A couple of statistics that will help understand 
where people put their value and their time. Sports enthusiasts will spend almost $60 billion for sporting events, over $33 billion for athletic equipment, over $19 billion for gym memberships, $8 billion for sports-themed games, almost $5 billion for race entry fees, and more than $2 billion for fantasy sport leagues. Is anybody a fantasy sports league fan? Yep, you were part of that $2 billion. The average across sports was $700 spent by parents per child on the minimum. Okay? But even the least expensive sports had some parents spending more than $9,000 and upwards of $12,000 per year per child on elite sports such as lacrosse, gymnastics, ice hockey, tennis, gymnastics, skiing, snowboarding, and others. A lot of this was spent on gear, time spent traveling, and fees on entries. But this is a lot, nine dollars to $12,000 per child, per year. The average American family will also spend about $3,600 on some form of entertainment per year. However, on the other side of this, the average giving by adults at American Protestant churches is about $17 a week or less than $900 annually. Key statistics about church attendance is 20% of Americans attend church weekly. 41% of Americans attend monthly. And about 57% of Americans are seldom or never in religious services or attend church at all. The church has been declining since the turn of the century. Why do you think that is? I think it's because we have more things that pull our focus. We're constantly being enticed and, and drawn into the next best thing, a.k.a. the iPhone 15, which I actually bought. It was for work, though, so it was a legitimized purchase. <clears throat> Tax write-off, right? So statistically, there seems to be a clear distinction between what people do and do not value. Now, of course, we like to be entertained. Who doesn't like a good concert? Who doesn't like a good football game? Who doesn't enjoy great food? But see, those things that we like and experience, they can overshadow things. They can be take, they take a bigger priority of our life. Maybe with our kids or our grandkids, we want them to have what we didn't, so we spoil them. Or experience the things that we had when we were younger. Maybe it was um, a memorable vacation. Maybe it was a trip to the lake in the summer. Maybe it was a, a winter retreat at a cabin. Maybe it's that first year hunting. These things that, that take priority doesn't mean that, that they're a sin. doesn't mean that we shouldn't enjoy these things. So don't miss this. I'm not trying to get this twisted. What I want you to understand is it's not a sin to have these things or live life to the fullest. What is a sin is when those things start to have us. When they start to take more of a priority in our life than God. When they start to take more of a priority over spending time in church or connecting with people or building relationships. They start to have our focus and ultimately pulls us in a bad direction. If we put too much time and energy in those things, they could become our idols, and these created things start to have more meaning than the one who created us. So when that happens, we put the priority of our relationship with God on the back burner. We start to tell ourselves things like, well, you know, I pray when I eat, you know. Good food, good meat, good God, let's eat, we're done. I don't really need that, that personal prayer time or devotion. You know, that's, that's for those people. 
So, I mean, I'm good. I pray. Or, I mean, I don't really need to attend church in person. I mean, we can watch online. It's the same message. You know, I don't really need to be there. You know, I can, I can listen to this or watch it from the deer stand. <clears throat> right. But when that happens, we start compromising. We start to get desensitized or comfortably numb in our relationship with God. You know, we start creating idols out of the things we replace God with. The Word of God says in Psalm 115, starting in verse 4, that their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, feet but cannot walk. They cannot make a sound with their throats, and those who make them are just like them, as are all who trust in them. And if we're not careful, we will become just like those in this scripture. We become worshipers of the created and not the creator. We become stale. We become stagnant. We become complacent. We get stuck in this rut, not doing anything to further our relationship with God or build his kingdom. We become basically idols of ourselves. You know, that's what the world wants to sell us. Just do you. Whatever makes you happy. Just be you. Self-pleasure. That's idolism. Looking at ourselves more than God. We start to worship the created more than the creator. When was the last time you could say that you felt the presence of God? Was it in a worship service? Singing songs? Hearing a message? Was it driving down the road in the car, listening to a song on the radio? <clears throat> you see, our perception of whether we feel the presence of God or not doesn't change the fact that he is always moving and he is ever present. God is omnipresent. He is ever present and he is always moving and it doesn't matter if we feel it or not, he is there. It's up to us to recognize his presence and to honor and worship and adore him in his presence. It doesn't stay here when we leave. It doesn't change when we're at the job or in the combine or out in the field. It doesn't matter. God is still there because he indwells here. If we call ourselves a Christian, we carry Christ with us. He is ever-present. We have to be intentional about it. You see, for those of you who are single, how do you expect to get into a relationship if you don't engage in some sort of interaction? Hey, what's up, girl? It ain't going to happen unless you put yourself out there, right? What about those of you who are in a relationship? Married? Men? Women? If you only talked less than an hour a week, how long would your relationship last? Now, I get it, man. You're probably saying, thank God. But women, a little different, right? You go for less than an hour a week talking to each other, and your relationship will struggle. Why do we think that's okay? We go Monday through Saturday and not talk to God. We come in on Sunday morning and expect to hear him speak. We don't know him. We're not spending time with him. We're not building that relationship with him. We don't know his voice. How can we know his ways when we're not reading the word? How can we not hear him guide us and speak to us when we're not speaking to him, praying to him, talking to him, asking him 
What is your will for my life? What do you want me to do today? God, help me, guide me, lead me, direct me. We don't know. Maybe, just maybe, when we actually do pray, that's why we don't feel like we can't hear God speak. Or maybe we feel like he doesn't answer us because we don't know the voice of God. John 10, 14 says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me. As the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. But I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock and one shepherd. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. You see, if we're living life six out of seven days every week, waiting to come in to get refilled because we're drained or tank up to help us get through the week, church is going to be disappointing. We will leave feeling still empty or the feeling of being filled will drain quickly. You see, corporate worship works best when we arrive with something to offer. That's why it's called corporate worship. We come in together to raise our hands and lift our voices and show praise and honor and glory and thankfulness and gratefulness to the one who died for us. We give back praise and worship. It's not something to come and get and take and just hold on to. Yes, (laughs) there are days we don't feel like it. There are days where we want to just call in sick or we want to just throw our hands up or stay in bed or that anxiety or depression wants to keep us down. And the voice of defeat will always whisper in your ear, just stay home. Because if the devil will steal your praise, he will steal your joy, he will steal your happiness, and he will ultimately guide you off the path of righteousness. That's why it's called a sacrifice of praise. It has to cost us something. It's something of value. Our time, our talent, our treasure. It's more than that. We're called to create. We are created to worship God with our entire beings. Romans 12.1 says, Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. We are to deny ourselves. We are to to pick our cross up daily. Say, God, not my will, but your will. God, not my desires, but your desires. Help me be your hands and your feet. What can I do for you today? We are called to serve, not to be served. Christ was that example. Regardless of our perception, viewpoint, our past experiences, or even our feelings, God is still worthy and he will be praised regardless. And whether we do it or not, Luke 19 says in verse 39 that some of the Pharisees of the crowd told him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples, they were being too loud. And he answered them, I tell you, if they were to keep silent, even the stones would cry out. Even the stones would cry out. Philippians Chapter 2, starting in verse 5, says this, Make your own attitude that of Christ, 
Christ Jesus, who existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taken on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And for this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every other name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. One day, one day, either here on this earth or after, you will bow your knee. You will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Because he is worthy whether we think it or not. Church, we need to move from being consumers to contributors. It was a book that I used to use and read. It was called Out of the Seats and Into the Streets, basically talking about putting feet to our faith, being a contributor instead of a consumer, to take what we've been given and give back. There are too many people that are lost and dying and without hope in our very own community for us to be silent and to constantly sit still and not give back and be hands and feet of Jesus. Amen? We need to start contributing Worship is an action word. It's something that we do. Not a place we attend. Not a song that we sing. Not an instrument that we play. Worship is something we do. That's why one of our core values here at Central is serve purposefully. Serving is worshiping. I know at some point you've probably been burned or hurt by serving. You've been burned by, uh, hurt by somebody that said they were a Christian. You've been hurt by church. Maybe you got hurt serving at a church. I don't know. Maybe you just got burned out because you served too much. They asked too much of you, and they, they roped you into an assignment for one Sunday, and then you stayed there for the next five years. I don't know. Pastor Ryan, at the end of the summer, did a series on hurt, and he talked about church hurt and how we can use worship to move past that hurt. And I understand that sometimes that hurt can hinder our worship. It's kind of a catch-22. It's like, yeah, worship can help me get over it, but what if I'm too hurt to worship? What if I'm too wounded to worship? It can affect how we respond in corporate worship, how we give of our time, our talent, our treasure. It holds us back from our relationships and spiritual growth. But I'm telling you, when you get involved, the more that you get involved, you will see God move. You'll not only see God move in your life, but you'll see God moving in the lives of others. Because it's not technically about the task at hand that you're serving in. It's about the relationships that get built in serving, the community, the camaraderie, the family atmosphere that comes from serving. When you spend time with other volunteers, people week in and week out, you get connected through our connect groups. You start getting involved up in the media booth, on stage, in the kids' ministry, connect team, welcoming new people in. You see God moving in their lives. That inspires your faith. God, God starts to do something in you. Regardless, he's worthy. The point is simply this. Are we willing to give him what he deserves or are we going to continue to waste our worship on something unworthy? Are we going to exchange the creator for something that he created? I choose to worship the creator and we should not be afraid to show him. We shouldn't be afraid to be expressive. How many of you go down to the local high school football game and cheer on the Tigers or the Kemper Knights? You know, it's like 
you're going to go for it, right? What about your team at Super Bowl Sunday? All you guys decked out in the gear. Do we not go for it? Do we not go to the concert and sing at the top of our lungs? If we are willing to do this for something unworthy, why would we not give that and so much more for the one who is truly worthy of our worship and our praise? Tim Hawkins, a Christian comedian, he used a couple of physical examples to say, hey, look, we can get involved in expressive worship. You know, maybe you're new to worship and you just want to kind of get the hands in the pockets. You might enjoy the song, so you got the arm flap going on, you know. Or maybe you're tapping the leg. You feel comfortable, so, you know, you kind of hold the baby. You know, we're starting to look around. We don't want to look out of place. Maybe we're starting to feel a little more comfortable, so we go big screen. You know, we'll carry the big screen, you know. But a song you really like comes on, and you're like, oh, man, this is cool. I'm going to start clapping, but I don't want to clap, so I'll just kind of say my fish was this big. Okay, it's lying. My fish was this big. Maybe this big? No, it's this big. Or we go, you know, pointer, hatchet, schoolroom. You know, we'll, we'll go goalpost. Or maybe if we're getting real spiritual, we'll throw in a heartburn, double heartburn. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Or we go all out and just do the free bird. Or, you know, we get the, the Insta worshiper. Hashtag. All this good stuff. Regardless of how we express ourselves in worship, we should not be ashamed of it. If we're going to lose our minds and go all out, I mean, I, I don't expect you guys to show up in full body paint next Sunday. That would be cool. But, you know, we should not be ashamed of it. We should be able to clap and raise our voices and sing along, not because we feel okay with it, not because we want to, not because we can or we can. We, the Bible says make a joyful noise, right? Doesn't mean you can join the worship team. But God said make a joyful noise, so we raise our voices as corporate worship, and we give back to the one who desires it and deserves it. Amen? So are we going to start worshiping God like he deserves it, or are we going to continue to waste our worship? That's up for you to decide. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, would you continue to open our eyes? God, reveal to us the things that may be taking the place of your worthy worship. May you... May you reveal to us those things that are in our lives that may be hindering our growth with you. Maybe, maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's um, a hobby or our job. Or maybe it's money. It's, maybe it's our spouse or our kids that take priority over you. But regardless, God, would you, would you reveal that to us now? God, you would give us a boldness to overcome this, this, this fear, this anxiety, or this um, the stigma of, of, of not being able to worship you publicly or corporately, God. God, would you give us a boldness uh, as your people, God, that we would continue to worship you like you need to be worshipped, the way that you deserve to be worshipped. Maybe step out of our comfort zones. Would you, would you let us um, guide, guide others into worshipping you? Be your hands, be your feet, God. Maybe it's just sharing our story to someone else in the community. Maybe it's somebody at work that needs hope. Maybe it's getting connected. Maybe it's plugging in and serving. Whatever the case may be, God, would you, would you put that on our hearts as we leave this place, God? And maybe, we int maybe be intentional about worshiping you Monday through Saturday as we are on Sundays. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.